and pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. In the latter times, the Apostle Paul foretold that people shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. What is a seducing spirit? We want to talk about that here on Viewpoint today. And it's not that difficult to figure out. In fact, Jesus himself made it very clear that in these end times, the number one characteristic of the times would be deception. Well, deception is directly related to seduction. No one is ever seduced against their will. Did you know that? No one is ever seduced against their will. Therefore, It's incumbent upon all of us who profess the name of Christ to understand that our will is very much involved in this matter of seduction and deception. A seducing spirit, in order to seduce, masquerades as a purveyor of truth, kind of like, shall we say, a drag queen masquerading as something else. We'll hear from a well-known drag queen later on in the program here today. You want to stay tuned. So a seducing spirit, in order to seduce, masquerades as a purveyor of truth. Most deception, therefore, wraps itself around a nugget of truth so as to have the aura of biblical support, but always tweaks the truth so as to either misrepresent it in substance or misapply it in practice. So for that reason, you may recall the Apostle Paul's admonition to Timothy to study to show himself approved unto God, a workman that would need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now the interesting thing about seducing spirits is they are carried through the mouths of men and women who are not necessarily small-time cult leaders but who more frequently become big-time and popular voices, gaining prominence largely by means of their pleasing seductive messages. After all, people want to believe what they want to believe, don't they? That's human nature. It's referred to in the Bible as the sin nature or carnal nature, which is enmity against God. That means at war with God. So... As we launch into the deep here today on Viewpoint, Jesus himself minced no words. He was expanding on this warning, take heed that no man deceive you. He actually declared that false Christs and false prophets shall arise to seduce, if it were possible, even the very elect. Jesus said, take heed. Behold, I foretold all these things. So today on Viewpoint, we take a look at what this really looks like. And I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I have before me, here on the broadcast desk, a news article 
The news article says major news report that decries exploding STDs, that's sexually transmitted diseases, ignores the obvious solution. Well, here it is. The Centers for Disease Control has a very straightforward message for those who want to avoid sexually transmitted diseases. What is it? Well, these include gonorrhea and syphilis uh, and things like that, which can be fatal, actually. But the CDC says this. Here's how you can avoid giving or getting an STD. Practice abstinence. Wow. Who would have ever expected that to come from the quite liberal CDC? Oh, but it didn't stop there. A new report that we're going to take a look at today was headlined, Out of Control STD Situation Prompts Call for Changes. Guess what? The new report never mentions abstinence. Now, why does the new report not mention abstinence? Because people don't want to hear it. So the CDC wants to communicate a message, but not so much. They know the truth of the matter is abstinence, but they don't want to communicate that, so they're going to try to find an alternative salvation. They're going to try to find something that's more acceptable, something that's more persuasive to the flesh, or at least they think so. So we're going to find out what that really is. But before we do, I want to give you a little message from a drag queen. That is a former drag queen. He was a drag queen for 20 years. Kevin Lewitt, living by lipstick and stilettos. But one day he picked up a Bible, and since then he's been on a mission to spread hope to others trapped in the gay sex industry. And he warns parents about so-called family-friendly drag shows. He says there ain't no such thing. If you think there's a family-friendly drag show, you are already deceived, and you're seducing your children or grandchildren. You're a seducer. That's his message. The attention that Wit got from dressing and drag was so addictive, he said, that he did it whenever he could. Back in the 1990s, he said, when I was doing this, it was definitely not cool back then. But I was addicted to doing it. Wit ended his drag career after a gay stripper invited him to church. Now, I don't know about the gay stripper inviting him to church and was still stripping as a gay man. I don't understand that. But that's what happened. Witt said, I became a Christian, and that desire to live as a female, that desire for sex with random people, and all of that, he said, went away. He went on to say, and to warn, while drag shows usually have an element of obscenity, he said today's shows are worse than in the past. Drag is not child or family friendly, he said. And he's shocked. He's shocked by drag queen story hours 
and child-friendly, so-called child-friendly drag events being promoted around the country. It's public outcry, he said, that's forcing planned drag events for children to find other venues. At first, they began appearing in public libraries. When conservatives protested, the events moved to school, public school libraries. But that, there was a backlash to that. And now, he says, LGBT activists have moved child drag queen events to gay nightclubs, homosexual nightclubs, during the day. He said, I think the majority of parents have no idea. They think they're taking their kids to something fun. And they think they're teaching them inclusivity and diversity. No, they're seducing them into deception. We'll be back after this rest to talk about the nature of seduction. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Apostle Paul warned Timothy that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Are all seducers evil men? Paul seems to lump them all together. But if the life, ways, and message of all seducers are openly and notoriously evil, how then are the people seduced? Are people so inherently evil as a whole, so willingly to be deceived by openly evil persons? Well, the problem with the word evil is how we think about it. What is evil anyway? Evil, quite simply, is anything that disagrees with God's viewpoint. Any attitude, speech, behavior, that disagrees with God's viewpoint is evil. Now let me give you an illustration before we go further to take a look, further look at the SDC, at the uh, SDC situation that's prompting for calls for changes in a seductive way. By the way, you may recall back in the book of Numbers, chapters thirteen and fourteen, where God. Uh, had declared to the children of Israel and Moses, I give you the land, the promised land, the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they've come out of Egypt, and they're on the border of the promised land, and Moses sends out emissaries, spies, whatever you want to call them, one leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go and investigate or spy out the promised land to uh, give a report on what the people should find when they enter that land. Well, they were gone for 40 days, and 40, 40 is the number of testing, by the way, in the scriptures, 
Moses was tested 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Jesus was tested 40 days in the wilderness, you may recall. So 40 is a significant number. But without belaboring that point, we find that as the children of Israel were prepared to enter the promised land, these 12 men, leaders of each tribe, were deputized to go out into the promised land to see what it was like. They came back after 40 days and gave a report. All of the spies, all 12 of them, said that the land was, as God said, flowing with milk and honey. In other words, the good land. In fact, they brought forth, they brought back some massive uh, uh, grapevines and so on to display how true that really was. But, now this is where seduction takes place. The butts in our lives we got a lot of big butts in the church. That's right. All over the world, in fact, not even just in the church, but in the church, a lot of big butts. And it gets us in trouble. It leads to seduction and deception. So here's what happened. Ten of the twelve tribes, although they agreed with God's assessment about the land, They said, but, or nevertheless, there be giants in the land, and they're so terrifying that we're like grasshoppers in their eyes, and so we are in our own eyes, and we're not able to go in and take this land. This is just too big a challenge. That's what they said. Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, there are giants in the land, but we are well able to go in and take the land. Why could they say that? Because God already said, I give you the land. So they weren't going to trouble themselves with the reality of the giants. They didn't deny the giants. They just weren't going to trouble themselves with the giants because God had already spoken. So how did God respond to those other 10 spies or leaders of the 10 tribes of Israel. How did he respond to them? Would you like to know? He said very plainly, they brought up an evil report. Remember, we're talking about what is evil from God's viewpoint. Not what's evil from your viewpoint, what's evil from God's viewpoint. Any attitude, any action, any behavior, any words that are contrary to what God has said is deemed by God to be evil. Therefore, if you were to read Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul describes the horrific things that are going to take place in the end times as people forget the God that they had earlier recognized, refused to glorify him as God, their foolish minds and hearts become darkened, and God gives them over to a reprobate mind, and they do those things which are unseemly, men with men, women with women, and so on. Then he concludes that chapter with these words, and I paraphrase. He said, it's not just those who do those things 
that are culpable before God. It's also those who approve them. Now, why would God say that? Because any action, behavior, or attitude that is contrary to the word, will, and ways of God, in other words, his viewpoint, is deemed evil. Therefore, if you are supportive, whether you be a professing Christian or not, whether you be a pastor or a priest or not, if you are supportive of, say, uh, the same-sex movement, same-sex marriage, if you're supportive of transgenderism, if you're supportive of these various things, if you're supportive of abortion, if you're supportive of any of these things, you are necessarily a seducer and deceived. And to the extent that you do support them and verbalize your support, you're an even greater seducer. You are culpable with those who do them, the Apostle Paul said. Now that's serious business. So you can see why, uh, from God's viewpoint, this matter of seduction and deception uh, might be critically important and so important that it might deprive you of the promised land. Yes? The behavior, attitudes and behavior of 599,999 adult children of Israel who God took out of Egypt with a mighty hand were deprived or denied the promised land because of this. Not just the ten, uh, the ten spies. Because they all had an evil attitude. They murmured. They complained. They didn't agree with God. Can you see how important it is why you and I should bring our minds and our hearts and our lives in agreement with what God has said? Now, you may not like it because the culture has redefined what is appropriate, whether it has to do with same-sex marriage or whether it has to do with divorce and remarriage when your spouse is still living. You see, neither one of them is worse than the other. They're both heinous before God. And they're both evil in the sight of the Lord. Now you can see, by the way, why it's so important that we have a massive, massive spiritual revival, not awakening, revival, among professing Christians. Because unless there is a Holy Spirit-driven revival, there really is no hope for the future of America. Because America is we the people. And the church is supposedly the lighthouse of the nation. But if, as Jesus said, if the light that is in you be darkness, then how great is that darkness? So, as we talk about this matter of seduction and deception, it's very easy to think that God and or we here on this program are talking about them, whoever them is, whoever they are. You know, the ubiquitous they. It's always somebody else. No, God says it's you. It's you I'm talking about. I'm talking about my people, those who profess my name. 
Now, for further understanding of the depths of the nature of seduction and deception, I urge you to get a copy of my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book, yours for $15, on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, or you can give us a call at one 800 Save USA, that's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way, this may be the most helpful, freeing, liberating, instructive book you have read this year, and maybe as one person said, in my lifetime. It's it's just very different than other books. It's about us. It's about you and me. That's where the Bible speaks. It doesn't speak about them. The Bible isn't about them. It's about us. It's about we the people, and particularly God's people. That's where God is concerned. Because if he can't get the attention of his warmest audience, and they, we, are acting in evil ways by dissing what God has said, then how in the world can we expect him to get the, the uh, attention of the pagans, the unbelievers? Yet that's exactly what the culture war mentality has been about. Christians acting actually like pagans when we expect the pagans to act more like Christians. It's unbelievable. It's pretty pretty amazing. Now, all that having been said, we're going to take a little journey uh, to the CDC and the United States health officials who are now calling for new prevention and treatment efforts. Abstinence doesn't cut it because... It won't sell. Truth doesn't sell. It's hard to market truth, especially now, because people don't want to hear it. But they do want to hear what they want to hear. They want an easy way out. Kind of like the refrain of a song back, I think it was in the 1970s, got a good reason to get the easy way out, something like that. I don't know what the rest of the song is about. But I remember that. Got a good reason to take the easy way out. That's human nature, isn't it? But God hasn't called us to live according to human nature. He's called us to live according to his nature. Because human nature is the sin nature or the carnal nature, which is at war with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be, said the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. Now we understand better. If we really understand that, we can understand better why the statistics in America concerning our society, concerning STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, concerning fatherlessness, concerning uh, AIDS, concerning all of these other issues, almost all of them can be traced back to refusing to agree with what God has said. 
and their echoing consequences. It's pretty amazing to, to look at the trajectory of consequences for failure to agree with God's viewpoint. Now you can see, by the way, why we say viewpoint determines destiny. Some people may wonder, why do you say that? Viewpoint determines destiny. Are you saying every viewpoint? Yes, every viewpoint does determine destiny to one degree or another. That's why our thoughts matter. That's why our words matter. God wants to get a hold of our thinking. And when he does, he will also get a hold of our words. For by our words, Jesus said, we will be justified. And by our words, we will be condemned. God, we're weaving, our, weaving around a whole lot of things here today on the program, aren't we? And we just don't hear. All right, we'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Today we're looking at the nature of seduction and the word seduction that we take from the Bible, from the scriptures, is a sexually charged word. God uses it specifically for that reason, because he frames Israel's response to him in sexual terms, whether it's in marital terms, whether it's in fornication or adultery, he uses sexual terms to describe the relationship of Israel and Judah to him. You can well understand then, if that be true, why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, would tell us, no, it's in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, why he would tell us that the matter of marriage is actually a metaphor or a earthly representation of the relationship of Christ and his church. Marriage also is a sexual uh, term. And so we have all of these terms that God has used from the beginning of the book to the end of the book concerning the sexual relationship, and how it relates to our spiritual relationship. God sees the one as congruent with the other. Do you? If we don't see it the way God sees it, 
then we're not going to tell the people the truth. We're not going to live the truth. Pastors are not going to communicate the truth from God's viewpoint because they're going to superimpose their own viewpoints. That's where we run into danger, and a pastor becomes a seducer. A well-meaning Christian friend becomes a seducer, encouraging their friend to divorce their spouse when God says, I hate divorce. Encouraging their friend to remarry some frisky filly or some handsome gent when the previous spouse is still living. They think they're doing a good thing because of their feelings, but they're elevating their feelings over the faith. And therefore they become, unfortunately and perhaps unwittingly, a deceiver. All right, and a seducer. Now let's go back to the CDC. Remember the CDC's Centers for Disease Control first came out and said in a very straightforward message that to avoid sexually transmitted diseases, there's one clear, unavoidable answer. Practice abstinence. Then all of a sudden, when the greater report came out, they didn't talk about abstinence anymore. Why would that be? Why do you think that is? Because abstinence doesn't sell, doesn't market. So they wanted to do an end run around the truth that would set people free and find other ways to, shall we say, Mickey Mouse around with the issue. To pretend that they were really going to do something that really wasn't going to help at all. Not really. So let's read from the report here. Sharply rising cases of some sexually transmitted diseases, including a 26% rise in new syphilis infections reported last year, are prompting U.S. health officials to call for new prevention and treatment efforts. New prevention and treatment efforts. New prevention and treatment efforts? There's nothing new under the sun. They're not new. They're just regurgitated because we rejected the one, the only one that really worked. And that was abstinence, when you should be abstinent, when you're not married. So they go on to say, Dr. Leandro Mena of the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, in a speech on Monday, said it is imperative that we work to rebuild, innovate, and expand STD prevention in the U.S. Well, that's a nice statement to make. But what does it mean? Is there any reality to it? What are you going to do? He goes on to say infection rates, including gonorrhea and syphilis, have been rising for years. Last year, the rate of syphilis cases reached its highest level since 1991, and the total number of cases hit its highest since 1948. Wow. Things aren't improving, friends. In spite of all the so-called imperative efforts to rebuild, innovate, and expand prevention, they're not working. HIV cases are also up 16% last year. And an international outbreak of monkeypox 
which is being spread mainly between men who have sex with other men that God calls an abomination has further highlighted the nation's worsening problem with diseases spread mostly through sexual contact. David Harvey, executive director of the National Coalition of STD Directors, called the situation, quote, out of control, unquote. Well, it is out of control. Jesus said it was going to be out of control. Did you know that? Jesus actually told us that in these end times, this, these conditions of sexually transmitted diseases and uh, evil involvement in the sexual field would be out of control. Now, he didn't use those words. He said, as it was in the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, so it will be just before his return. So what we're talking about here is really, in a statistical way, just affirming or reaffirming what Jesus said. Now, would the CDC do anything to correspond to God's viewpoint concerning this? No. They already announced God's viewpoint, abstinence. But that's not going to be their message. So what is their message? Officials are working on new approaches to the problem, such as home test kits for some STDs that will make it easier for people to learn that they're infected. Really? Okay, for what purpose? To take steps to prevent spreading it to others. Okay, but the whole way you got it was because you were promiscuous. What's going to stop you from being promiscuous now? God's word didn't stop you from being promiscuous. Your parents didn't stop you from being promiscuous because many of them are too. So promiscuity is not stopped by saying, I'm going to get tested. Promiscuity issues out of the heart. Another expert said, a core part of any effort must work to increase the use of condoms. In other words, we're going to facilitate promiscuity in order to prevent STDs. Now, think about the logic of that. We're going to facilitate promiscuity in order to reduce sexually transmitted diseases. When they well know that the trend is away from using condom. After all, everybody wants freedom. I want to do what I want to do the way I want to do it when I want to do it. As Frank Sinatra said, I'll do it my way. Yeah. So why do they think their miraculous, magical suggestions of multiplying condoms is going to solve the problem? No. What they're doing is playing let's pretend. Now, the report goes on to say rates are highest in men who have sex with men. 
and among black and Hispanic Americans and Native Americans. Why is that? Is anybody asking that question? No. They dare not ask that question because then they're going to run afoul of personal responsibility. It's not sufficiently inclusive and unbiased. So in other words, we really don't care if the rates are highest among black men and Hispanic Americans and Native Americans. We don't care. We're going to admit it, but we don't really care. It's just a fact, a factoid. You see, there's no reality to this report. It's a report having almost no meaning, no implication or application for change. Not really. It's a pretense. That's deception, friends. We're seduced into believing that the government is going to solve the problem when the government really doesn't intend to solve the problem because they know that the problem cannot be solved unless the hearts of the people change. And the government can't change the hearts of the people. The rise in congenital syphilis, in which infected moms pass the disease onto their babies, potentially leading to death of the child or health problems like deafness and blindness. Annual congenital syphilis cases numbered only about 300 a decade ago, and now they have surged to nearly 2,700 last year. 900 times more. Nine, nine times more. Amazing. Public health organizations are pushing a proposal for more federal funding including at least $500 million for STD clinics. Really? Money is going to solve a heart problem? You see this is happening? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. It appears that we're double-minded or two-souled people. That's what Jesus' brother said. A double-minded or two-souled man is unstable in all his ways. In other words, 
were prime candidates for seduction and deception. If you don't have a copy of my book, Seduction of the Saints, you don't know what you're missing. It was written for our times. It was written for professing Christians. It was written as an expression of God's love and compassion for his people in these desperately deceptive times that Jesus said were going to be the the primary characteristic of these times would be deception and seduction. Seduction of the Saints. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Staying Pure or How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book for $15. It may be the best expenditure of $15 you'll ever make. It's a transforming book. Again, it's on the website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's one 800 Save USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get it in your hands. All right, in this final segment of the program here today on Viewpoint, we want to respond to the question Who are the seducers? Who are the seducers? Now, reading the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and Jesus himself, you have to conclude that they're talking about people who profess to be Christians, even our leaders. So that having been said, let's take a look at the characteristics of these seducers. And... Inherently, every one of us is capable of being a seducer or a deceiver. So if the life, ways, and message of all seducers are contrary in whole or in part to God's viewpoint, then by very definition, it's evil. So then, if that be the case, why are people so easily seduced? It's amazing. Well, the Bible gives us some helpful clues on this. And if we were to go back to the Old Testament, uh, and we don't have time to take a look at both the Old and the New Testament, well, we're just going to take a look at the Old Testament. We know that the New Testament warns uh, the, the professing believers about being seduced. We know that repeatedly. So let's take a look back and see what we can see from the Old Testament. Some Old Testament deceivers. The Bible gives us some, I think, very helpful clues, but even God's viewpoint on this issue is increasingly rejected by most, including professing Christians. The prophet Jeremiah said, The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Today's viewpoint is that the heart of man is basically good. You may recall the founder of the Crystal Cathedral saying, it's abuse to tell people that they're sinners 
They just need more self-esteem. He didn't believe the heart of man was deceitful or desperately wicked. Jesus foretold that the end-time spiritual environment would look like the days of Noah, when men, men's hearts were evil continually. But I think perhaps more importantly, Paul expressed clearly in, in that season of the last days that professing believers in Christ will not be willing to put up with sound doctrine, consisting of the full or complete counsel of God, but after their own lusts, their own desires, shall heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, we want to hear what we want to hear. So the general terror, excuse me, tenor of the minds of men and women, yes, even those who profess Christ as Savior, is to hear only what we want to hear, what's pleasing, what makes me feel good, what seems to go along with the trends, what seems generally acceptable, what markets will what markets well and seems successful. So the clear trend then is to turn away our ears from the truth. Now, in such an environment like that, anyone who participates in the seduction from the truth is by nature, I hate to say it, a seducer and evil in God's eyes. For God always sees that which differs from his clear truth that is refusing to agree with him on any issue as evil. So, in, in perilous times like these then, when people resist the truth and become of corrupt minds, even reprobate or perverted in their faith, seducers will wax worse and worse, Paul said, multiplying so that deception actually becomes the norm deceiving and being deceived. That's where we are right now. This is one of the greatest danger of perilous times, when the majority not only want to be deceived, but become complicit themselves in propagating deception. It's because such people receive not the love of the truth that God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, if we go back to the spiritual history of Israel and Judah, it reveals this this very perilous phenomenon in part, but it's amplified in in an art form in, in these end times. After the reign of Solomon, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, became king over the ten northern tribes. But because they had no access to the temple at Jerusalem, Jeroboam took counsel and made two golden calves, remember? Which he placed in Bethel and Dan, declaring, Behold thy gods, O Israel. He set up a counterfeit priesthood to lead his alternative worship system. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before these calves. Notice, Jeroboam seduced the people with his rationalizations. We might say, well, his intent was right. Not from God's viewpoint. So the people participated in and propagated the deception. A similar thing happened in Judah. Manasseh, the son of the godly king Hezekiah, reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He built the high places, reared up altars for Baal, 
worshipped the stars, built altars for their worship in the temple courts. He set up graven images, led the people in dealing with the occult, and wrought much wickedness. The people refused to follow the known will of God, choosing rather to follow Manasseh's leadership. And God said, here's what God said, Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed. Who's seducing America? Who's seducing American Christians? Now, consider the source of the seduction. As with Israel, so with Judah. It was an inside job. The people... We the people had a will to be deceived, and the seducers were their own leaders, not outsiders. And that's true both politically, secularly, and spiritually. So, the Lord ordered Ezekiel, the prophet, to prophesy against the prophets of Israel, their own premier spiritual leaders, who purported to be the mouthpieces for God. He said, prophesy against those prophets of Israel to those who prophesy out of their own hearts. Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They've seen vanity and lying divination, a vain vision. They have seduced my people, saying, you're going to have peace when there is no peace. Imagine the prophets were the seducers, but the people were willingly seduced because they were of a mind and heart to be seduced. In other words, nobody is ever seduced against their will. Nobody is ever seduced against their will. Now, the problem with deception, which is a corollary or cousin to seduction is that, unfortunately, by the time a person is deceived, they don't realize they're deceived, and so they embrace their deception as truth. And the longer they've been doing that, the less likely they're going to turn from it. This is the reason why Jesus said, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there will be that go in thereat. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and very few there be that find it. He went on to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, which includes embracing his viewpoint. You diss what God says, and you may very well be disqualifying yourself for the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, that may not be popular to hear. That may not align with what your pastor said. But it is what God said. It certainly sounds like it. But he that does the will of my Father, those are the ones that are going to enter the kingdom. So that put things, puts things in a profound perspective, doesn't it? 
So why is it that so many are going to be prone and are prone to deception? There's a rebellious spiritual environment where the love of many has waxed cold and is waxing colder and colder. And therefore, the environment just produces massive deception. Easy for people to be seduced. And the sheer numbers of the increasing deceived and seduced, it's like birds of a feather flocking together, isn't it? They'll create a kind of spiritual jet stream, sucking the unsuspecting into its powerful draw. So, in that context, Jesus made clear, many are going to come even in my name, and she'll deceive many. Now, the fortunate thing is that God wants us to know his word. He wants us to love his word. He wants us to love him. Some people say they can love Jesus without loving his word. Well, that's pretty tough because God says he's exalted his word even above his own name. So we can't play that game. That's deception. Here's the problem. It should be increasingly clear that professing Christian believers are and will be at profound risk and have to be forewarned as before harm. So great does deception desire company that the end time picture is nothing short of a massive falling away. But here's the hope. Christ desires to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable unreprovable in his sight. So, let's not be moved away from the truth. Let's love the truth. Let's agree with God. And when we're in disagreement, let's confess it. And it's amazing what God can do to bring genuine revival in your soul. Thanks for joining us. Get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints. $15 will put it in your hands on the website, saveus.org. Again, please seriously consider being a partner so that you can get more You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.